Yo, as you can see, huh. we're back with you. That's right. Tribe and Bias back with you on the Sports Bag Bros podcast, episode number 17. The numbers continue to rise, and you're here for that reason. The numbers are here to rise. We're covering all the sports you want to hear about, and we know right now why you are here. You saw the thumbnail, and if you've seen that thumbnail, the reason why you came here, we're talking about the Buffalo Bills. Of course, there's more to talk about even after that because this is a sports show. But the Buffalo Bills may be the new city of brotherly love. How is that going to be possible? Well, there's a lot going on right now with the Buffalo Bills. They've come to the cusp of the Super Bowl a couple of times over the past few years. They seem to have the organization that can move them forward, the players who can do the same. But now they have a little bit of dissension at the running back spot. Their quarterback situation is taken care of with Josh Allen, at least for last year, this year, being on the Madden cover, may change that. But their running back situation, that's where the brotherly love may be a possibility for this team. And what do I mean by that? Well, bias. What do you think about James Cook, who's the running back right now, one of the running backs for the Buffalo Bills, and Dalvin Cook, two brothers possibly on the same roster fighting for that lead spot? That would be crazy. I, I don't think the Bills need Dalvin Cook, though. If you look at their running back by committee, you know, they all averaged over four and a half yards of carry. You know, everyone got a fair... What is going on here? <laughs> got a fair, fair share amount of carries. Uh, Cook actually had the least amount. Um, but I, I don't know if this is a, an effect of the Madden jinx. Running backs unhappy. You know, Buffalo's not getting off to the to a good start this offseason. Um, but adding Delvin Cook, that would put all that to bed, you would think. Because he's going to come in there and you would think he's the man. Yeah, we were just talking about yesterday when it came down to the NFL, there aren't any more workhorse running backs. That's kind of a thing of the past. But if there ever were a workhorse on any organization, even going back to the Minnesota Vikings, Dalvin Cook would be as that number one running back. And he took the bulk of the carries and he's gone to four straight Pro Bowls while getting those carries gone over a thousand yards. I mean, he's kind of a throwback to the past, the recent past. But the running back by committee seems like that would be more of what's going on now, especially with the added game, 17 games in a season. However, with those guys that you're talking about running back by committee, there's always going to be that one guy who's going to want to stand out. And there may also be that one guy who will stand out. So you might not have to worry about as much of a committee. But going by their individual stats and going by the individual numbers, they weren't really workhorse kind of running backs. Those numbers were pretty much in spot duty. They weren't relied upon to be championship or team leading running backs. So right now, yeah, running back committee would be by committee would be a good thing. But Dalvin Cook, which is proven that he can go into a team and be that number one guy until you might have to go to running back by committee. I think that's that's more of what they need. You have the quarterback situation already handled. Right. Well, I say I don't believe they need him. If you look at those three running backs, Murray, Harrison, Cook, Murray had 171 carries, uh, Harris had 106, and Cook had 85. <clears throat> As I mentioned, they all averaged better than four and a half yards per carry. So why bring in another guy who you're going to have to pay 
when you can use that money for another position and improve your, your roster your roster overall. Well, I think Buffalo is one of those teams right now that's probably on the cusp of a possible Super Bowl appearance, if not a Super Bowl win. They have a lot of the pieces in place right now. Right now, because of Devin Singletary going to the Texans, who was their incumbent running back, I mean, they could use that one at least guaranteed guy, at least in his history, has shown that he can at least get past a couple of seasons, even though he does get injured a lot, and that's Dalvin Cook. He does, he has already proven that he can go out and be the main guy when you need to. These other guys, when the, if you give it to the hot hand and the lights are on them, what happens to these guys when the pressure becomes too much? What happens now that we have 17 games with these guys? Do they fumble the ball? Do they get injured more than they would have? Because a lot of them, is, other than the, uh, Murray, I think the, the smaller backs, Damian Harris, coming from his, – his numbers are more important because he comes from New England. And we know New England with Matt Jones – he wasn't exactly what he was in his first year. He didn't show the progress we thought he should have shown. So the running backs had a hard go at it, or at least they should have, and he still flourished. So running back by committee may be a better thing to do aesthetically, but I think as far as just having a guy that can get you the job done that all of these three guys can do together, if you pay him right, he can come and do the same thing. You save money and you get the production. Well, if the Bills can get him on a friendly deal, then I say go for it. You know, you get a... a higher end running back, but I'd rather get some depth, you know, give, uh, give that money to another position and just have a better overall roster. When you have three guys, you know, Cook's not going to dominate the ball anyway. He'll get the bulk of the carries, but they're still going to give running backs. I mean, other running backs carries. So why not just keep it, keep the three they have. Yeah. James Cook, he went into this saying that he's the number one guy. Of course, you would expect your running backs to have that kind of confidence. He's going into his second year coming out of Georgia. We know that Georgia is one of these running back factories. And being Dalvin Cook's brother doesn't help. But he does have somewhat of a pedigree. But he does have that small body. He's small in stature in terms of 190 pounds. There aren't too many people, committee or otherwise, in the NFL as running backs, running rampant and running successfully for the long term at 190 pounds. It seems like the committee would be a good thing if they could not get Dalvin Cook because they're still in the running for Dalvin Cook, according to the alleged experts. So that means that the Buffalo Bills, if this is true, that they still have Dalvin Cook on the mind, and it still might come down to what you're thinking, giving him the right amount of money and allowing him to come on the team and compete with the rest of the guys. I don't think there's going to be too much of a competition if he comes in, if he stays healthy. He's just going to get in because of name alone and – his previous success that he's had with, with the Vikings in the NFL period. Well, if you, if they sign him, he's coming into play. So yeah. he, he's going to be a number one on the depth chart. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a matter of whether he can stay healthy and how much they use him. Now, if he leaves, if he does come, what happens to these other guys? I mean, there are going to be other guys there for death, but I'm sure someone is going to have to leave because his salary, as we know, is not going to be the salary that the, they have. You know, so I think Damian Harris has a $1.7 million salary that he brought getting his one-year deal. So they're giving him one year to see what he can do. But I don't think that they thought at the time that Dalvin Cook would be available That now that he is. And there are other teams out there. I think the Dolphins lead the way in wanting Dalvin Cook. You know, he's a Miami guy, so but it's business. So even if it's a home deal or not, a hometown or not, you know, you're going to go where the money is. And as we also spoke about yesterday, there are slim pickings in terms of money when it comes down to running backs in today's NFL. 
And uh, he's not going to get a whole lot anyway. I mean, you got rookies, as we mentioned yesterday as well, B. John Robinson, $13.72 million as a rookie who has not stepped on an NFL field yet, getting more than established <laughs> veterans like you know, Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, why give a Buffalo a friendly deal when he can go home and be on a competitive team and get a deal that's better for him? Yeah, that's true. And, you know, we hear these players all the time talk about how they want to play for a championship. And there's an opportunity to play for a championship. I believe Buffalo right now is closer to a championship than the Dolphins. The Dolphins are a better team this season coming up, or they're on paper they are. Um, if Tua can stay healthy, they're even that much better. But the Buffalo Bills are definitely the, the elite class right now in the AFC East as it stands. And, you know, hometown deals, whatever. I think that, yeah, he could go to the Dolphins if he wants to win. But if he wants to have the best chance to win a championship, the team that's competing in the top three, along with Kansas City and the Cincinnati Bengals, that's Buffalo. It's not Miami, at least not right now, as we sit here waiting for training camp to start up in July. But in any event, I think he and his brother, I think that's it. An excellent little mix, the mix to have in in Buffalo camp if it ever happens. So Buffalo may indeed be the newest city of brotherly love, throwing Philadelphia out of the first place spot for the first time. Well, I guess in American history, if that does happen. Yeah, yeah that would be in, very interesting. Um, but like I said, I don't know if he's he's going to take a friendly deal to play with his brother uh, when he can get a bigger bag and go home. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, why not? I mean, a, a lot of these players have different ideas of what being at home means to them. Some of them don't want to be home because of the distractions and family and all of that other stuff. Others rather be home because they feel more comfortable. Family could watch them play all the time in person, not just on television. <clears throat> and it's all, you know, it's, it's good for them, period. But we'll see exactly how this turns out because the NFL is right around the corner. It's It'll coming be- next month. Training camps are beginning at the end of next month. He could be tired of freezing his ass off up in Minnesota, too, and want to go home where it's nice. And that's true, because if he leaves <clears> Minnesota <throat> to go to Buffalo, you're pretty much in the same situation. <laughs> Even worse, because Buffalo's outdoors. At least doors, in Minnesota, right. playing your football is indoors, but you're also playing a lot of those NFC North teams, which are outdoors, which you already know. Chicago, bitter cold. Green Bay, bitter cold. Detroit, indoors. But who cares about Detroit right now? We'll find out during the season. But Buffalo also freezing in the cold outdoors as well. Miami seems like a, a a hometown advantage in terms of just being home, familiarity, weather, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll see how all of that turns out as the NFL season is almost upon us. Just about a couple of weeks away, several weeks away, three maybe. This is being the last week of June, so we'll wait around for that. But there's something we can't wait around for, and that's the NBA. They're still bugging us. They're still putting out news. They're still doing things we thought were in the past, even though free agency hasn't come up yet, but they're doing what they're doing. And today, Dame, we already know what's going up there in Portland. Dame Lillard may just stay in Portland after all, allegedly. Good idea, hmm. bad idea, or just something to grumble about again? Terrible idea for Dame Lillard. You know, <clears throat> he is he going to take Scoot under his wing to – to groom him to take his spot in three or four years and they're going to lose again and end up in the lottery again. That's not a good plan for Dane. Uh, and then you got the GM saying they want to build around him. What have you been doing for the last eight years? 
Let why didn't you build around go. him? <laughs> why didn't you build around him then? Now that it's possible he's worn out his welcome in Portland. Well, he hasn't worn out, but he might be tired of losing. Now you want to build around him? I, hey, I think it's too late. You better make some big deals, sign sign a, a couple of free agents, and prove it. Otherwise, uh, it's time for Damon Damon uh, Damon to go. Yeah, I know. Uh, I think he kind of talked himself somewhat into a corner when he kept on saying, "I'm going to stay here and win a championship." And regardless of how bad things had gotten, he stuck with his mantra of, "I'm going to stay until we win a championship." I'm going to stay here. And I think a little bit after Giannis had done it with Milwaukee, he stayed the course, got himself a championship. He's thinking even more so, I can stay here and win a championship. And now that he sees the walls coming down and he realizes the championship dream may not be there at all, he's kind of can't get himself out of it. He now wants to go, but he doesn't really want to say, I want to go. And then management, is this gamesmanship or flat out lying saying that we want to build around him? As you said, you could have built around him all of this time instead of getting rid of players like, well, CJ McCollum and letting him go. And now you're here by yourself with a rookie under your wing. And of course, Scoot Henderson wants him there. He said, man, you and I here, we're going to absolutely kill it. They just build around us and we can really kill it. What do you think about something like that? A rookie of that ability, hook it up with Dame and then bring it in people that may be able to help, not just superstar people, but people who know their role and they're solid NBA players. I don't I don't see it happening. I mean, I I give him props for being confident. You know, I would want Damian Lillard to stay, too, if I was the yeah. number um, You know, I'd do whatever I could to to uh, make him happy, make him feel confident in me, say whatever I had to try to get him to stay. Because if they trade Damian Lillard, who are they going to bring in that's going to give Scoot a chance to contend to exactly. make the playoff? So, he, he needs Damien if he wants to get into playoff contention. I think Scoot is just one of these, you know, precocious little NBA guys who just got into the league, excited about being able to play in the league, a lifelong dream, and he just wants to go out there. And at the time right now, the money's all nice and fresh. Everything's gleaming. You think you really have a chance at a championship until you get into this NBA career. You see these teams and realize how much better these other teams really are. Even the teams on your level are extremely good in terms of overall talent. And you start hitting that wall and you're going to be like Dane because he's like, I want to win a championship here. And now he's at a point of, oh, I want to win a championship here. Oh, can you trade me? And then now we got the gamesmanship slash lying of the general manager, uh, Joe Cronin, saying that um, we really want to keep him here. Do you want to believe these GMs? Because we could look at the Atlanta Hawks right now and what they've been doing of late, well, yesterday, John Collins going to the Utah Jazz after signing a five-year, $125 million contract, two years of being used up. They just want to get rid of that last $78 million from their salary cap, get that flexibility, and they just sacrificed and threw them away. We don't need you. It, it seems that way. It, it seemed like a money dump because they, they didn't get equal value back for that trade. No, absolutely or, not. Yeah, so. That shows. Yeah, I, you can't trust GMs, coaches, what they say to the media. No. You know, yeah, I mean, you've been watching a lot of sports and you've seen a lot of interviews and, and you've conducted interviews. And so you know you can't believe everything that, that they say. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable now. And I think that they're, they're almost forced 
to say the right thing now. And, you know, they still try to lie in between the lines, but because of social media and so many cameras out, so many outlets in their face, they can't hide the stories anymore. If they said something, your own spouse might have a video of it or a recording of it and put it in front of you and say, yeah, this guy said it. We saw what happened with Donald Sperling, Sterling down here, you know, and, and with the Clippers, you know, he, he trusted people and it didn't work there either. But yeah, these people, these general managers, these presidents, all of these people in decision-making positions, <clears throat> they say anything. And then when it comes down to it, they'll nod to you, they'll smile in your face, and then the next thing you know, you're on the next ship out of the town. No matter what kind of player you are, some players maybe not, but we see right here with, with John Collins. He really thought that $125 million solidified his time you know, in, in Atlanta. And unfortunately for them, they've been a first round out the past two seasons. And Trey Young is there. And do you really think he's going to be around when all this is said and done? I mean, he has to be pretty upset himself. He really thought he was on a real trajectory when he was telling the guarding crowd in New York to pretty much shut up when he went up there with a playoff game. <clears throat> I just want to circle back to Damon right quick. Uh -huh. I think, like, he's on record, as you mentioned, is saying he wants to stay in Portland. And he was very adamant about that. Mm -hmm. So – I'm sure it's not easy to go back on that word or to go against it. Or he doesn't want to come out and say, you know what, I'm just tired of this place. Get me the hell out of here. But somebody's got to give word to him, like, it's okay for you to change your mind. It's okay for him to change his mind. He tried. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's only been there two years and like, oh, man, this place is a dump. Get me out of here. No, he's been there for years. He's tried. He, he's given it enough time. They haven't provided enough help. And he, he's entitled to change his mind. So, Damien, change your mind for your own benefit. Yeah, and it would be to his benefit because I believe whatever team he goes on, I believe if, if it's a contending team, he could be the one to get him over. I mean, a team like Miami, if they could make room for him, he's going to be the one to really put them in contention, even though the consensus among NBA people, not even fans, but people, is that what happened in Miami last season was a fluke. You could believe that. You may not believe it, but the way they went and won with the heart that they won, knowing the plays that they have who have the heart to get it done, I don't know if it's a fluke. You could win with heart and some talent. It's not like they're without talent. Adding Dane would add even more talent, and it would bring even more heart. It would accentuate that heart, and they may be able to make some miraculous kind of winning championship, perhaps. We don't know because we didn't know last year that Denver was going to be in the spot they're in. We thought they'll be around there. But they gotten their money back from the 200 plus million they've given uh, Jokic last year. They've already made their return. They got a championship with possibly more to come. But just think back about all of Damien's playoff um, experience and the moments he's provided, his buzzer beaters. Yeah. You know, that's, that's been missing from the playoffs. Anytime Damien's in the playoffs, I mean, it's must see TV. Yeah, it is. And you put him on a contender, we're, we're talking Miami Heat. Philadelphia 76ers, hey, playoff time, oh, man, he's, he, he turns it up. Yeah, he and does. He, that's a guy you want to see in the playoffs. So, again, Damian, you can change your mind. Well, don't let him go to the Bucks. If he goes to the Bucks, then we got some <laughs> serious problems in the East. We're going to have some real serious problems because the Bucks are going to be pretty much unbeatable in the East if he were to go to a team like that. And with that $40 million alleviated That's right now, since Middleton decided to go and use his option, or, well, to turn down the option, whew, <laughs> I can only imagine if he ended up somewhere like, uh, like uh, Milwaukee. But anyways, 
you know, this basketball news keeps on coming, but it's getting shorter and shorter. We have a some NBA Summer League ball coming up soon. But until that happens, baseball is creeping into the mix. And right now we're talking about college baseball. Not a whole lot about it. LSU beat Florida 18 to 4, winning the College World Series. And for the seventh time and the first time since 2009, LSU, the Tigers, champions in college baseball. It's nothing new. It just hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, congratulations to the Tigers. You know, it was a dominant victory. Absolutely. 18-4, as you mentioned. Um, there was no doubt in who was winning that game. Uh, not much else you can say. They're a story program when it comes to college yep. baseball, and they're back on top. So congratulations to the Tigers. Yep, and it lends itself to football later on with SEC football because it's like an SEC thing. You got Vanderbilt winning championships in baseball in college. You know, they don't do it in football, but they will do it in baseball. Now you have LSU back again, pretty familiar territory, winning another championship, seven now, first since 2009, and a team that probably can have something to say again. Two SEC teams, by the way, a lot like the college uh, playoffs or the college just – Anything that they have as far as college football goes, but the SEC is always at the top of something and they're playing each other while the rest of the country seeds because it's going down like that. But nevertheless, that's the baseball that's going on in college right now, because before they can get to the majors, they got to go to college. But in the majors, it's the Braves that we can talk about right now. The best team in baseball, in my opinion, I think the numbers speak for themselves, even though the Rays have the best record in baseball, the Braves are the best team in baseball. Thanks to that 13-0 start that the Rays had in the beginning of the season, it puts them ahead record-wise. But going with body of work and quality of players, the Braves right now all the way. Yeah, the Braves are playing high-quality baseball. They're, they've been playing better, more consistent baseball than the Rays. But just as batters go through slumps, you know, teams sometimes hit slumps. We'll see if the Rays get hot again. But... Uh, the Braves are getting contributions from a lot of different players, and they they have to because the uh, Marlins are, are hot on their tail. Absolutely, the Marlins. That's that seems to be like the the show's team right now. Even though you're a White Sox fan, I'm a Yankees fan. We can still appreciate enough good baseball if it's being played by teams that weren't supposed to be that good this year, and the Marlins is one of those teams that was not supposed to be so good along with the Baltimore Orioles, along with a couple of teams out there that turned out to be pretty solid teams this year, and they're running with it. And a lot of them led by young players, in some cases rookies. But nevertheless, I mean, the Braves, certainly with Ronald Acuna, the leading vote getter for the All-Star game, the number one player on the Braves right now. And perhaps if it were today and you entered the National League MVP, he would probably get that too over Lewis Arise. Maybe. Still a lot of baseball to be played, but also let's give a shout out to their pitching. Spencer Strider. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he boy, he's nine and two. That mustache, man. <laughs> Bruh. Come he on. Struck out, struck out 10 again last night. And I believe he's only the second Atlanta Brave pitcher to strike out 140 batters before July. And you think about all the pitchers they've had in their system, you know, that's quite an accomplishment. I mean, look at that. I mean, you go back to John Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox. John Smoltz is the other one. You know what I mean? So they just. Glavin, Maddox, Avery. 
bro, I mean, you can go back to their relief pitching when they had John Rocker before everything fell apart. And even Mark Bowler is throwing over 100 miles an hour. Man, yo, the Braves just have, have a very solid uh, organization. It took a little bit of a hiatus. They've won a World Series recently, so they still have the core of that team. Acuna being the lead dog of that team. I wish that Freddie Freeman would have stayed, if you're a Braves fan, that is. I mean, I'm glad he's gone. But if he stayed, they would be even better right now as a team. The chemistry might suck because they couldn't get along. But nevertheless, the Braves are number one right now. And ironically, you go to the AL East, every team is above 500. And this it's the only division in baseball where every team is above 500, even if it's just one game. And then you have the AL, I think, Central, where I mean, all but one team has, is over. Oh, is it uh, the West? I'm thinking. Oh, no, oh. it's the Central. It's the Central. All but one team is over 500. Braves beat the Twins last night, so the Twins are now 500 exactly. Uh-oh. So now we got those problems arising. But the yeah, Braves – my White Sox, they're 12 games under, and they're only six games out. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Hey, you know what? Look at it that way. If you're on in your division and that's all you have to worry about, I'll worry about that. because I mean, I wouldn't worry about that as much because, hey, you don't need all of that ridiculous competition getting you from, to where you need to go because baseball, more than any other sport, once you get hot, when it's time to get hot, it's hard to stop you. So if they're going to go through this right now, and they're just six games out in a bad division, and they finally overtake whoever the leader is in the division, and then they ultimately get into the playoffs and get hot at the right time when all those moves are made with the trades and you know all that that goes on at the end of the baseball season. You never know. It'll be a, a, a memorable way. I mean, the Yankees are a mess right now in third place in the AL, spending all that money. And, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit, but as we were saying, when it comes down to those rookie players, I mean, Ellie De La Cruz, who's more rookie than that? And who's as good as he is right now as a rookie when he's getting hitting for the cycle in just his 15th game this past weekend, and he continues to play the way he's playing. And it doesn't look like there's a stop to it. Now, the all-star break may be a reason for him to slow down, but as it stands right now, he doesn't realize that he's a rookie. He thinks he's in his 10th year. That's true. He's made a big splash. He's an electric player. He's fast. He's athletic. And he's shown he's showing his talent right now. He hits the ball hard. He runs the bases fast. He steals bases. If he gets in the gap, you best get to it quick and get it in because he's going for three. Um, but it's just crazy because when he hit for the cycle, he needed the triple. And he had a double earlier in the game, and it looked like he was going for three. He, when he turned first base, had that look in his eye, but they got it in really quick. Outfitter got a nice bounce or something, and he's like, okay, well, I'll stop at second. But late in the game, when he needed that triple, he wasn't stopping. And he went for it, he got it. Um, yeah. You know, that that's a historic performance by a guy who's only been in the league less than a month. Exactly. I mean, young kids, his 15th game, Obviously, this has to be the earliest anyone's ever gone for the cycle in their career. That's pretty <laughs> I'm not even. That's something you don't have to research. You just say it and you let it hit the universe, and it's true. We'll just accept it for the fact that it may be. But we go back to just a team. I wanted to talk about the mess. That's what they are. The M E S S in New York. The New York mess. It has to be that way. I mean, they're they're an awful team. Eight games below 500, and it's not even because they're eight games below 500. It's the return on their investment, which is absolute nonsense that they're getting right now. You're talking about a team that's spending this year alone $344 million on salary, on salary. 
and you're eight games below 500. You're in the NL East. I mean, there's Six only two of us. Back. Yeah, they're an awful team. You're not going to beat the Braves. It's almost back to the 90s. They couldn't beat the Braves then. They're back to that now. And now there's questions if Buck's managing like he as if he cares. They're they're questioning, does he care about this game? Does, does this game matter? Uh, the writing's on the wall. I don't think he's going to be around too much longer. Man, if you love baseball, you got to love Buck Showalter. I mean, Buck Showalter is one of those men's men of baseball. You know what I mean? When he got the job, I, he's one of those few managers where you believe his presence alone can will a team to win. It's completely the opposite now. There's too much money out there invested in players that are flopping for him to be able to have his influence. That's what's going on right now. And it, look, you can't blame him for Max Serger and and uh, uh, Justin Verlander not playing well. I mean, they're getting hit all over the park. It's not even like they're not getting run support. They're not getting that either. But even when they get run support, what are they doing? I mean, you got all of this money invested into this team, and it's a mess. I mean, it's just absolutely insane to me because, once again, those two alone, I think they, they get over $80 million just between those two. And when you go to the Atlanta Braves, a team that knows how to, to spend money, you're talking Ronald Lacuna and Spencer Strider combined, in, in addition to five other players, getting less than $60 million. I mean, come on. And they're getting results. They're ahead of you. You're fighting and bickering, and it goes beyond Edwin Diaz as a closer. It, this is a whole mess. And then on top of that mess, you have those whiny New York fans that are always complaining, never happy. I'm one of them, but I'm only unhappy about the Yankees right now. The JV, I don't mind too much about them. The Mets can do what they want, and they're doing a whole lot. It is possible, you know, Buck's a, an older guy, maybe – He's not connecting with the, the younger generation. Maybe they're not listening. Something's not right there. You say it's a mess, and they're 16 games back, and obviously it is a mess. And you can't fire the players, and so usually managers first to go. Yeah. Joe Girardi was looked at as that kind of a guy, too, and I was like, get real. I mean, Joe Girardi, I know he's a hardcore guy. I mean, he's a hardcore baseball guy. I don't know how he speaks to guys inside the locker room in the dugout, you know, in the clubhouse, but he's always come across as that guy. I remember him as a player, how just hardcore he looked. I mean, he just, he played. I mean, when Joe Girardi went out there and played baseball, you got your baseball dollar worth from him. And you get rumors of younger players complaining about not connecting with him. And I'm like, God, why don't you just play? You know, we have a different kind of player now, whether it's baseball or basketball or football, where Bill Parcells couldn't coach in the NFL and today, because he would just get run out of town, you know, because of the way he spoke to players, you know, you, you just have a different kind of player. And I think that's the same thing in baseball right now. And um, that's what you have with, with the Mets. I mean, Buck Showalter, old school guy, you know, remember old Dallas green, old school guy, but he couldn't get what he needed out of those young players. So ugh, this is where we are right now, but let's go back to. I want to yeah. mention before I move on from baseball, uh, Lewis Roberts, center fielder for the West yeah. side. Has four home runs last three games, so he's hot. He's heating up. Uh, but Shohei Atami's on the mound tonight, so that should be a good matchup. A good see matchup. You know, you get to see what you're really all about because are you hot because of the teams you used to play or are you hot because you're just hot right now? And even against the best competition or one of the best competitors out there, you will be able to show your wares. Is it going to be a stalemate? Does he just get one home run over the series? Or does he, you know, continue the hot streak? Getting hits is not all about home runs. Just getting hits. And that's something that, um, well, they're going to be able to use. The White Sox can use it right now. They're in a division where they can still catch their 
the leader of the division. So you know what? If he's going to get hot, he's getting hot at the right time, just before the All-Star break, which is in about two and a half weeks or so. So, yeah, and teams need to either get things in gear right now to at least know what you need to do in the second half of the season. And this is one of those teams. So there's a, a whole conglomeration of teams out there right now who can get their act together, especially some of these teams we weren't expecting. Like I was mentioning, the Marlins is one of those teams. The Baltimore Orioles is another one of those teams. The Cincinnati Reds, all led by a bunch of young guys. And we'll see how it goes after the All-Star break, but not before we look out our Luis Arise update, chasing 400 right now, 399. He's been going back and forth from 401, 399, 383 at one point, back up to 400. Hey, he's looking good right now, and he's about to head into Boston to see what he's really all about. And maybe he can hit a couple off the, off the monster and raise his average. Or they have that short porch down the line. Yeah. Maybe he can go down there. Uh, you know, he hit a two-run homer a few games ago. And when he turned on it, it reminded me of Tony Gwynn when he used to talk baseball with Ted Williams. Tony yeah. Gwynn wasn't known as a home run hitter, but Ted encouraged him. They throw you that fastball inside, turn on it. Tony Gwynn, later in his, his uh, career, he started turning on fastballs. And that's what Arise did. So you have to be careful with him. He puts the ball in play, but if you come in, and you're not pumping 100, he, he turns on it, you know, he can get a hold of it. Hey, he got himself another home run because he has three now. You know, I remember he just had <laughs> one and was sitting on that forever, but he still had that ridiculous on-base percentage of 45. I think it's 46 now. But nevertheless, you talk about Ted Williams, and you look at the past 79 games, and I was looking at a statistic a little earlier about uh, the, the players where they were in their first 79 games of the season, and Lewis Arise right now is at 399, and where is he going to end up? Well, John Oleru had the highest uh, batting average. And as we also mentioned, as you mentioned in particular, in a couple of episodes, for a couple of episodes, that if he's going to probably get it, he may need to be a little bit over, uh, kind of sort of a lot over 400 to kind of settle into that 400. 415, 420 would be an ideal spot. So just That's in case true. it's a buffer for the, the load you're going to have or the slump you're going to have, and you know, it's going to definitely happen eventually. But John Oleru was batting 406 after 79 games. He ended the season 363, you know, and the, even more ironically, you would think with that kind of a start 406 and eventually dropping down to 363, he got the batting title, but did not get the MVP of the AL that year in 1993. Frank Thomas, the big hurt got it with 41 home runs. I mean, that, you know, it's batting average alone probably won't get you the, um, the MVP of the AL or NL, depending on which one you're in. And that's the reason why I bring that up is because we talked about it just yesterday as well with Luis Arise and Ronald Acuna, which one would be the MVP if it came down to it. You look at the numbers, batting average-wise, not even close. But when you start looking at the home runs and the stolen bases, well, on base percentage, it's still Arise. People look at that, and the game isn't appreciated as much for this contact on the ball as it used to be. Everybody's about whiffing, but still hitting the ball out of the yard. Yeah, so <clears throat> Acuna's he, he's a run producer. Yes. He's going to drive in runs, so his RBIs and home runs are going to be considerably higher than the rise. Where rise can maybe make up some ground is run scored. If he's on base so much, creating runs, uh, he's going to need some help from his teammates driving him home. But even that year when John Olerud did it, settled on 363, you know, um, he his on-base percentage was 47. 
I think it was 476. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And right now, Arise is up in that area, 45, 46. You know, he's going back and forth. And, you know, if it came down to it, guess what? I guess I would have to give it to Acuna, too, because he has a little bit more production. He gets the RBI. He gets the home runs. And now the new age of stealing bases is in. So he's got 35 stolen bases at last count. He's only been caught six times. So um, 399 is something to look at. So and by, uh, also, Ted Williams, he was at 397, I believe. At, with 79 games, the year that he went 406 in 1941. So, you know what? Those are, take it for what it's worth. We don't, we're not calling the rise Ted Williams, but you know what? You can go up or you can go down. Most have gone down. Ted Williams went up. Yeah, what Teddy Ballgame did was astonishing. I mean, he could have set out the last, the last two games of the season. They told him, we can round up and you hit 400. He's like, F that. I want a real 400. Went out there, got a whole mess of hits, and hit 406 for the season. He's like, screw your 399.999. I want 400. He got it. Yep. And, well, I think Lewis Arise is that kind of guy that wouldn't want to sit down either. In this day and age, they'll make you sit down because they look at the what kind of uh, uh, backlash you would get if you sat down, I mean, if you kept playing and you struck out and you ended up below 400 just because of that when you could have sat no, so I see how that works out. So we can go. Yeah, for but it. there's something to be said. There's something to be said for going for it. You, yeah. You you just naturally would have a little bit less respect for somebody when there's yep. another game left or two games left, and they set out both games or one of the games. Oh, I'm at three ninety nine, ninety eight. Round up. I'm four hundred. Well, yeah, technically yes, but technically. You didn't hit 400 because you're below 400. Yep. Now, the manager is the one who asks if the player wants to play or not. I think if you're a real competitor, which I believe arises in a lot of these players in the major leagues, they should say yes. The player who says no and then that gets out through social media, they're going to be looked at cockeyed anyway. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I'm sure there might have been players who said no behind closed doors, but there wasn't social media there to expose you. Now we're here and we will expose you. If you're cowardly, do not go out there and bat up when you need to. So we go from the happiness of baseball to a little sadness when it comes to some football and in the college football ranks. As you, as a Nebraska fan, would know, um, just recently, Darren Dietrich, former running back for the Cornhuskers, passed away, cancer, 44 years old, way too soon. Cancer is the culprit once again. Wow, we're just losing people left and right. Yeah, you know, when you reached out to me to uh, we discuss starting this podcast, I never thought that every other podcast we'd be giving condolences. Yes, that's, that's not true. something we think about. Um, as you mentioned, he was only 44, very young individual. It's unfortunate. Condolences to his friends and family and the Husker Nation out there. Yeah, and of course, right before we came onto this broadcast, another one who needs our condolences right now and the condolences of others from the college football world, the NFL world, Ryan Mallett, former Arkansas quarterback, also played for the Baltimore Ravens. He passed away in a drowning near Destin, Florida today. I think he was 35. These are young guys dying, man. It is, yeah. You know, it doesn't but get as cancer, you, you kind of expect it, you think, eventually. Unless you get news that they, they beat it, they're cancer-free. Yep. He was swimming, trying to have fun. That's another guy just trying to enjoy life. You know, a terrible accident, tragedy, man. 
Yeah, that just happens. I mean, these tragic things and even some of these things that seem to be coming around naturally, I guess cancer is not something natural. Well, if you really broke it down, it may be, you know, but nevertheless, they're leaving way too young. Even when an older person had it, you still have your condolences. You still feel a little bit shattered by it. But an older person is different because they kind of lived a little bit more life and there's more they're you know, they're towards the end of the, the tunnel. They've done a lot, most likely in the previous years. These younger guys have so much life in front of them. They may not even see gray hair. They may not even see grandkids, that kind of thing that people kind of live for. And this is just another story that we have coming out of Nebraska for um, Darren Dietrich, who played for Nebraska, a thousand plus yard rusher, went and played in Canada. He's from Canada. He was Nebraska's first Canadian recruit. And, speaking of, and, and you know, and, and speaking of Canadian players or speaking of Nebraska players, well, we have Matt Rule from Nebraska. Taking players from prime time in Colorado, the recruiting in Nebraska may be back to what it used to be. He's getting the job done right now. <clears throat> right now, especially this week, uh, they had a big visitor weekend. I believe they have four commitments from this weekend. There's another player from Nebraska. He's the top-rated uh, player in Nebraska, a tight end. He's going to announce tomorrow. Uh, word is he's going to pick Nebraska. If that's true. They'll have locked up the top four prospects in the state. And that hasn't happened in quite a while. You mentioned uh, recruiting is back. Nebraska's in the top 20 nationally. And I can't remember the last time they were in the top 20 national. Yep. And I think they're going back to their old roots. I mean, right now, if you looked at who they've gotten, they've gotten Willis McGahee the fourth. Willis McGahee the fourth as a linebacker, not a running back like his father from the University of Miami. And I say that only to say this it's important because. Willis McGahee the fourth came from Miami Columbus High School. Miami Columbus High School is not where his father's went. His father went to Miami Central, if you know anything about Florida football. But anyway, he went to Columbus. And Mario Cristobal, the head coach for the Miami Hurricanes, went to Miami Columbus. And we always hear about the family of the Miami Canes and how these guys come together, how they're always on the sidelines. They're just are absolute family. He got away from South Florida and went to Nebraska. There's got to be something to it. Either they didn't think he was as quality a player, but for him to be stolen from Mario Cristobal's alma mater in high school and from the state of Florida and from Miami in particular, that says something if Matt Rule has him and he turns out to be a player, which he may be. Right. Matt Rule's on the right path. I was excited when Scott Frost got hired. I'm like, yeah, Frosty Dog's coming home. He did well at Central Florida. I thought he was going to bring them back to prominence, but obviously that didn't work out. Uh, he struggled in recruiting. He never had a top 20 class. And where he struggled more was developing the recruits he got. So hopefully Rule doesn't only get top recruits, but he also develop, develops them. But he has a history, a track record of developing talent. So, you know, things are looking brighter. And if you ask me, go to the state of Florida, get your high school players from there, and your ills <laughs> will be cured immediately, depending on those Floridians that you get, because everybody outside of Florida loves to get Florida players. In addition to the Florida teams loving to get Florida players, there are a lot more of those teams now than in the past when Miami, Florida State, and Florida over the past 40 years have gotten themselves 11 national championships just between those three teams with 80% or more of those players coming from the state of Florida. It speaks for itself. And to close out now, we're talking about the number one running back in the country so far, committing to the University of Texas. Jared Gibson, 
from IMG Academy, originally from Georgia, but he's at IMG right now, which is nothing more than a football factory. Call it what it is. He's the number one running back right now. He's going to Texas as the Texas Longhorns for the 2024 class and going into the 2024 season, heading to the SEC along with Oklahoma. They need all of the help they could possibly get. But relationships, it, what it's come down to, that's what I was mentioning last time with Mario Cristobal missing out on Willis McGahee, the fourth, who took his talents to Nebraska. Well, we're talking right now with Tashar Choice, the running backs coach now for Texas, who was the running backs coach for Georgia Tech, the guy who also recruited, uh, was it Jameer Gibson, uh, Jameer Gibbs, who's now with the, uh, who went to Georgia, Georgia Tech, then Georgia, um, well, uh, then Alabama, then he ultimately got taken by the Detroit Lions. I mean, he has a great relationship with these players. And now he gets another Georgia guy who happens to be playing in Florida at IMG Academy, taking him to Texas. Those relationships matter just as much as the school itself when it comes down to these recruits. Definitely. And that's a big gift for Texas. Uh, they're currently ranked 54 according to 247 Sports. So they've got some work to do on the recruiting trail. But getting the number one running back in, in the class, that's huge. Yep. And, you know, and the thing about it, I look at these numbers. I've been in this recruiting game for decades, literally, and I've seen these players come through the pipeline. I've seen these numbers, whether legitimate or not. But the most legitimate numbers, I believe, in the 40-yard dash comes when you have that laser timing. And this guy right here, Jared Gibson, did a 4-5 laser timing. I would take that over a hand time 4-4 any day because that's as legitimate as you get. You get a lot of these players who claim 4-3, claim 4-4, and you see them in person, and you know you're not seeing a 4-3, 4-4. Nothing wrong with a 4-5 if you have good vision and you have power and pad level, all of those things that great running backs do or even other positions. But right now, running a 4-5, the number one running back, someone thought, as long as Tashard Choice is making the choice, I believe it a lot more than I wouldn't because he's made the choice a lot. And he was a good running back himself at Georgia Tech when he was there. So – we could yeah, top speed doesn't doesn't guarantee uh, running back success. Nope. We mentioned vision. You gotta know uh, what hole to hit, when to hit it. Follow your blocking. Set up your blockers, yep. and then you don't use your top end speed until you're in the open field, which is is pretty rare in football. Yeah, and we've seen guys before. We've seen so many guys who had this top end speed that just did not translate on the football field to anything positive because you can go full four the wrong direction if you're a linebacker. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. You know, you could drop a ball while wide open. It doesn't matter. So that's what happens. And we'll get a chance to see this guy along with the other guys because we're going to watch recruiting. We're going to talk about a lot of the sports that's going on as the NFL is coming next month. And by the way, if you want to get in touch with us, you already know if you're watching this broadcast and made it this far, go to YouTube. Make sure you give us a like because that helps get this conversation out to everybody. Also, subscribe to the channel. Not as important, but you can do that as well. We're on everything else. You can find it in the description in terms of our podcast being on Apple, being on Spotify, and other links out there. Go to our description. You'll find out. You can interact with us on Twitter, on Facebook, Sports Bag yep. Bro. Look us up. Find us. And uh, we're looking for more interaction. And we're moving on. Exactly. We're moving forward with all of that. And those of you who will get a chance to, when we start going live, you'll be able to add the conversations that way as well. We can kind of go back and forth on your ideas, our ideas, what we agree to agree with or agree to disagree on, on future episodes. So right now, 
This is episode number 17 of the Sports Bad Bros podcast. We will see you tomorrow on number 18. Deuces.